right, welcome to Dropping the Ball with Andrew and Luke. Just two regular guys here talking about things you love called sports. Luke, how you feeling today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How you doing? You handling this whole uh, quarantine well over there in the U.S.? Yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty well. They just recently put a shelter in place, or I guess on Monday we're going to have shelter in place for 30 days across the whole state of North Carolina, so that should be fun. My county started on Friday. Trying to figure out how to navigate life in a new way is going to be relatively interesting. How's, uh, how's Greece going? It's pretty good. We've been shelter in place for, I think, about, I want to say two weeks They've started closing down flights to the Netherlands and Germany, I think. I don't think they're going to completely close them down, but they might end up completely shutting down all international travel. And uh, the, the lifestyle for it's okay. I mean, it's Greece, so there's just not the the gathering of community anymore, which is kind of the same thing that's going on in the United States. So it's, it's different, but it's okay. Getting some work done in the house and um, otherwise feeling feeling pretty good. Yes, yeah, so for our listeners, um, I'm sure everyone at this point is aware of what's going on in the world right now. We're being rocked by a global pandemic called the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Um, so that did lead us to our topic today. Uh, there's not really any live sports for us to really talk about. The NBA's season was put on hold indefinitely. Um, the G League was canceled for the rest of the year. You know, there's even talks of football maybe not starting on time. Um, But most importantly, opening day for the Major League Baseball did not happen, which for me was like Christmas not coming. I mean, waking up on Christmas Day and Santa Santa Claus just said, screw you, and no (laughs) one showed up. Um, And that's just kind of how my Thursday of opening day went. I spent most of my day watching the 2019 opening day, primarily with the Chicago Cubs, but I did watch a couple others and led me into watching 20 strikeout games yesterday because there's not any real baseball to actually watch, which really sucks. Lots of great YouTube videos, though. I keep watching that video of Gary Sanchez getting hit in the ball sack with the ball over and over, and it's it's probably... It's probably my favorite video in, in the history of YouTube. Oh man, that ball I mean, just right over day. the banana hammock, cool. right over. You could hear the the bowling sound in your head when it hit. Exactly, it was, it's amazing. Um, so, guys, we have a, a really great episode lined up for us, which we would have talked about anyways. Just maybe not today, but I think this is a great opportunity. Um, we're going to discuss the state of baseball as it is now and what's kind of led us to this point and and to really just talk about how America really and truly is American America's pastime. It has been a a sport of healing from as early as the, you know, Civil War through the Great Depression, the World Wars, through 9/11 and upwards into now where we are dealing with this global pandemic. Um, I'm excited because there is a little bit of a black cloud around baseball with some things that have went on the last couple years, Um, but it's going to get a chance to bounce back a little bit faster than it might have originally had this not happened, but it it 100% will be part of our world and especially the American world um, and how it's going to help us heal and, and move forward past this and kind of come back together Uh, once we are done with our social distancing and such. Yeah, 
I think baseball has always been kind of a, a place for healing. Like I remember when George Bush threw out the first pitch after 9-11. An incredible so, moment. Like, that was a, a huge moment in American history because it showed us actively coming together to move beyond this terrible moment in, in American history. So baseball, though, isn't exactly a, a stagnant thing. And a lot of the, the big moments in the sports history have not been so much related to, you know, like in basketball, addition of the, the three-point line or allowing dunking or things like that. A lot of the, the big nitty-gritty moments in baseball history have been actually kind of down to more of like scandals and things like that. So though baseball is not all about scandals and it is one of the greatest team sports ever, these scandals do give us interesting moments to kind of study the evolution of baseball through how these situations were allowed to happen and then how baseball as an organization and the American people decided to influence baseball to to see some change happen. So I guess our biggest one that we're going to probably begin with is uh, the one that's happening right now, right? So uh, Andrew, what do you what do you think about these Astros? Yes, yeah, so um, I am I'm kind of on both sides of the fence. Now, in, in the method in which things happened, um, for those that aren't familiar with the situation, the Astros were recently fined and punished for their part in taking in electronic sign stealing to where they were basically using cameras to hone in on these signs that pitchers were throwing, they were banging on a trash can, and they were dropping bombs is pretty much what it boiled down to. Now... With the impending season and it not starting, the jury's still out on how much it really did affect their game. Now, based on the reports also, it didn't really play into part in much of the 2018 season and nothing was found for the 2019 season and they were one game away from winning the World Series. Now, within that, There are a lot of people out there, a lot of baseball players, people close to the sport of baseball that still believe that they were doing something. And that kind of played into why teams like the Washington Nationals changed up their method every single game. And I think that definitely is a story to tell. But again, the commissioner's report came out that nothing was actually found. So what we do know is it definitely happened in late 2016 through 2017 in which they were World Series champions and it ended relatively early into 2018 based on just lack of the ability of it working anymore. I think more teams are kind of into it. Um, Within that, you know, there is a lot of stuff that came out in this report. I mean, there's been... Also, implications of buzzers and things like that, which I just find very, very hard to believe. I hope for the sport of baseball that that it actually is definitely not true. Um, But the things that we do know for certain is it was happening. And regardless of how they did on the road, how they did at home, how that 2017 season played out, it's hard to sit here and say that it didn't help them win the World Series. Now, I fully believe that they were still the best team in baseball. Sure. But 
that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't help. You know, within that, you know, there was a lot of things that also went on in 2017 and also 2018 involving the Yankees and the Red Sox in which they were using, again, technology to help them decipher signs. They were using Apple Watches and other forms of electronics to be able to do that. But I think the biggest and most serious, of course, was the Astros and and the way in which they were doing it. Mike Fires was the first to actually go on record. Um, there were a lot of people that they did say that you know came out and were accusing them, but no one truly wanted to believe it or look into it. But when Mike Fires went on record and put his name out there, I think that's when the commissioner had to do something because this was a former player that was talking against his former employer. A lot of people are upset with him. A lot of people are thankful because of him. I'm kind of on both sides. You know, I'm not necessarily upset with him. I think that he did do the right thing. Maybe he shouldn't have. I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, he did what he thought was best for his new employer, which I get it. I'm going to do anything that I'm legally bound to do or, you know, legally able to do to be able to do that. Now, I mean, Luke, what do you think about all of that? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, I guess it, it comes down to a lot of like that whole unwritten rule thing. So the rule inside of the clubhouse that, you know, that you that you don't go off and talk about stuff that's happened at your previous team, at your new team. Uh, even the whole concept of sign stealing in general is a huge bit of unwritten rule stuff, right? Where you've got you've got situations in which it's okay to steal signs, like like standing on second. If you're standing on second and you you're watching the catcher, but if you're the batter and you're like leaning over trying to trying to watch, you, that you're going to get hit in the head with a baseball. I mean, even even if you're doing it too much on second base, it's an unwritten rule that the pitcher is allowed to go ahead and throw one high and inside and just kind of brush back the batter just to send a signal to second base. It's like, hey, take it easy now. You know, you're, you're maybe getting a little too close to the goods. but Or it, an even even as a runner on first base, right. I have definitely used the catcher not hiding their signs to advantage to trying to steal a base. If I see that an off-speed pitch is coming then and totally. I'm planning on stealing a base, I'm going to try to do it then. Yeah. And, I, and the big thing is that that – the the gamesmanship aspect of sign stealing is legal. There are manners that you have to have about it, but the illegal thing since like 1961, I think I saw, is that you cannot use technology to steal signs. You can't right. be out in third base line in the outfield or something with a telescope like, <laughs> peeking in and then radio signaling into somebody. Like that's no, no technology is allowed. You have to use your brain and and cleverness. To do this, and so it's illegal. You've you've broken the rules, and and it's big not time. Only, and it's not only the Astros now that are being affected by it. It's it's pulled in whatever the the Yankees and the and the Red Sox were up to. Alex Cora's lost his job because he was he was on the on the the bench for for the Astros in 2017. So the the Red Sox have lost their head coach. You know, Carlos Beltran's been Carlos fired Beltran. from the he, from the, he has an outstanding O and O record as a major yeah. league manager. Because he was apparently one of the players that were heading it up. He was the only player named in the report. So you have to come down as the league pretty hard. And a lot of people were upset about the fact that they didn't come down harder. But the commissioner did what he could. I mean, there's there's a cap on how much you can actually find them. They got fined the maximum amount, which is $5 million. That's still a hell of a lot of money. 
and lost draft picks too. In in the they did lose draft picks. In the grand scheme of things, did they lose enough? I don't know. I mean, the the verdict's still to be decided. But yeah. But the owner then fired uh, Lunau, right? The 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 owner fired Lunau, and he fired uh, AJ. AJ Hinch, he's gone. The result that everybody wanted was that the commissioner steps in and makes these people get fired or banned for life. I don't, I don't know. I mean, because we also still don't have quite enough evidence. I don't think to really say exactly how this, how this impacted their their season. And it's it's going to be impossible to know until the season starts, right? But again, you can use 2019 as some of that evidence because the reports showed that there was nothing that happened last year, and they were again one win away. Had they not faced arguably the best pitching staff that we've seen in a decade, they may not have, you know, they may have been two-time World Series champions in the last three years. One cheating, one not, quote-unquote. Yeah. I think throughout the other scandals that we're going to talk about, we're going to see a recurring theme of kind of this kind of deniability that people are actively saying like, whoa, 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 no, 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 I didn't, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? But there's very few moments that you can definitively prove what's going on here and it's but still baseball has to do something and in most situations i think that they've they've handled it pretty well so especially in this one they've they haven't banned anybody for life will people end up getting blackballed for this maybe maybe there's definitely going to be some people hit i think it was i mean spring training of course got ended early or postponed however you want to look at it right now the astros were leading the league in hits hit by batters so they were definitely, the, the league in itself was taking it into their own hands because many of the players out there just did not feel that MLB did enough. There was rumblings of asking for them to be banned from postseason, which you couldn't possibly do because there's going to be players coming in and out of that organization that had nothing to do with this and that's not fair to them. How do you ban an individual player from postseason if they're traded or they sign as a free agent somewhere else? You know, they've asked for more fines or individual player fines or individual player uh, suspensions. But, you know, to have been able to get as much information as uh, Manfred did, it had to have been an amnesty thing. And so if he didn't grant amnesty, I'm not sure that they would have found as much as they did. Um, right. Which kind of stinks, but I would rather say, hey, you guys not necessarily get a free pass, but we're not going to punish you because you're going to tell us this because we've never had anything to this extent ever done before. So it's impossible for us to have an actual rule in place until we figure out the extent of it. Right. And then we can kind of go from there. But I think the thing that, you know, we really want to get to is, you know, everything else that's happened, all of these other scandals and and cheating instances that did put a cloud on the sport of baseball as there, you know, is now, so to speak. Um, You know, that cloud lasts for an undisclosed amount of time. Sometimes, depending on the severity, it's not very long. Other times it's, it's, you know, a decade or even longer. And most importantly, we're going to get past this. Um, and through some of the things we'll talk about, we'll show how we've continued to get past this. And because of what's going on now in the world, it's gonna we're going to forget about it a little bit faster because we're just going to be so happy that baseball is back and that sports in general are back. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think that baseball always takes a measure steep enough that it, it tends to scare teams and players away from repeating 
these things for too long, especially if they hit him hard and and pretty aggressively from the get-go. Right. So I think the first thing that we really want to talk about, and and Luke, you're going to talk a little bit more about this, is the match fixing um, and gambling within the sport. And we'll we'll kind of cover that in a few different decades and and time, time frames of baseball. But, you know, really going back to the late 1800s, um, because baseball has been around a long time. And so there was a lot of things that happened back in the day that don't happen now because if you do, Pete Rose is a great example. Um, you'll never get the chance to see the light of day when it comes to the sport of baseball. So, Luke, go for it, man. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that in, from the beginning here that we can see that, that will affect all sports in the United States was kind of the limiting of, of gambling in sports and locating that only in Vegas. If you want to, you want to really bet on sports, go to Vegas. And initially though, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, institutionalized gambling was a huge problem. So most players ended up getting approached by some type of gambler and they did it purely for monetary reasons. Sometimes they did actually do it for competitive reasons, but most of them is gambler X approaches player X, player X takes money, distributes it between player ABCD and scandal ensues. And if you want to read a bit more about this, there's a great book called The Fix is In, A History of Baseball Gambling and Match-Fixing Scandals by Daniel Ginsburg. So in that book, the, the first big event was actually in 1865, so the year of the civil the civil war ended. So we're going, you know, deep time here just to show that baseball has been tied to American history for a long time and and, and that's you know in that one it was years almost. Yeah, right. It, it, so it was it was one of those situations where like I said, gambler X approaches three players, three players take money. It gets caught pretty quickly because the game was a total ruse, you know, there was clearly a, a drop in performance. And the players get banned for life. So throughout those late 80s, late 1800s, that is, there's clearly an attempt by baseball to kind of begin to pull the sport away from a lot of this institutionalized gambling, which was clearly already going on. So in 1876, the NL, the National League, was founded. It was just in time because in 1877, we have the first big kind of groundbreaking uh, match-fixing scandal, and there's a, a good article about that from the Society of American Baseball Research on their website called August 20th, 1877, Gray Outcomes for the Louisville Four. And it was the Grays were the were the mascot for the, the Louisville team at the time. And four players, Jim Devlin, George Hall, Al Nichols, and Bill Craver were caught up in it. Craver was known for having a history of, of being involved with shady people, so that only made it worse. Bill Craver never really made any comments about it, and Devlin and Craver were the two big-name individuals in it that were pretty well-known at that time in baseball. So Devlin actually went down for having the third-lowest ERA of all time from a 1,000 innings pitched, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. So they went into a road trip. They were four games above the second-place St. Louis team, came home seven games behind the Red Sox. So what you're telling me is they dropped the ball. Yeah. I mean, they were 0-7-1 in Brooklyn and in Boston. Cincinnati was, a, was you know, a pretty good team at that point, but they kept coming in and out of the league because they changed ownership. So that kind of impacted the way that the way that win-losses were counted on the year. So there's a lot of controversy over this one because also 
Devlin and another player, if you look at their statistics, they didn't actually decline in form all that much. It's just that the team were just bleeding losses. So it's it's one of those, historically, that because some people were tied to some shady characters, the argument that they're, they were match-fixing becomes kind of amplified to a point that is pretty clear that they were. And... Devlin was the one who kind of, in this situation, was the the well-known person that got burned by it. And this paved the way. I mean, there was a lot of things that kind of happened over the next 30, 40 years or so that continued down this path of someone from the outside exactly causing a riff in the world of baseball. So it, I don't... I, I, I don't think it was too, too many people of them going outwards, correct? It was someone coming and approaching them to right. get more money out of the situation. Yeah, very, very few situations was it that a, you know, a baseball player, I don't think they had to, right? Because they were, they were the guys who were clearly the cash cows. If you go and ask them to throw a game for you, baseball being a, a game of, of millimeters, right? It's pretty easy to swing a little bit too hard or a little too early, a little too late, and, and you're, you know, you're out. So, um, a couple years later, 1908, Cubs played the Giants. An umpire was offered a bribe to favor the Giants. He denied it. It leaked that there was a team physician that was the person that tried to bribe him. Come to find out, in the modern era, we're looking back on this event, and now we're not so sure if it was just this team physician who ended up getting suspended for life or if it was actually John McGraw, who was the manager of the Giants, who paid this guy to go and, and do this. So this is one of those few instances where it was actually a competitive reason, where the, the, the manager of the Giants paid a, a team physician to go give the umpire money to call some, some strikes, and the ump respected the history of the game at that point, said, no, thank you, I'm going to call this game fair. And the big reason why that's a problem is that John McGraw is one of the greatest players of that era and was also one of the most popular managers. So if he would have been caught doing this, then... Have blown everything up. Yeah, it would have been like losing somebody like, I don't know, like like Pete Rose or something. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine, though, if what if that umpire had actually oh, yeah. accepted that bribe right. and the Cubs lost, and then they didn't win in 1908? Because as we all know... That was the last time they won before the 108-year curse, you know, where they didn't win again until 2016. I mean, that would have been absurd. Oh, and totally. And, and it I would mean, change, of course, the history of how incredible it was. I mean, I guess it would have been more incredible if they hadn't won then and won in 2016. But you get what I'm following. You, you follow yeah, I mean, I'm because, for, for example, the, the Louisville Grays, after the season where all that happened, they shut down. I mean, there was no more yeah. Louisville Grays after that. So that it's, it. it's you never know how much this can affect the, the history of the game. I mean, there, there might not even be a Cubs anymore if they didn't win that World Series. Oh, I'd have so, been heartbroken. Uh, I guess I would have never known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1914 was the first time, though, that it actually hit the World Series. So And that was pretty big, too. Yeah. The, the, the Philadelphia Athletics were swept by the Boston Braves in a four-game the first time that there was a, a sweep, so it was a four-game sweep, and that's in a book by a guy named Brian Kulik, and it's to everything a season, and a lot of it seems to come down to the fact that the A's really hated their owner Connie Mack. He was a bit of a tightwad. I guess the real question is, was it match fixing, or did did the the Philadelphia 
athletics so drastically underrate the Boston Braves that they just kind of blew it because the Boston Braves in July were in last place in their division. And they went from last place to first place by the time the World Series came around. So the Philly Athletics, they had already won a World Series in 1911. And the owner, this guy, Connie Mack, had actually sent one of his best pitchers, Chief Bender, a guy who ended up throwing three complete games in the 1911 World Series, to go scout the Braves. And instead, the guy went on vacation saying, why would I check out a bunch of Bush League hitters? So in that one, it's sort of like, we're not so sure how much the cheating was there. But either way, Connie Mack believed it. And by two years after that, he'd already fired or sold everybody on his, all the stars on his team. And they fell and to they were. Terrible. Yeah, they fell to an all-time league worst win percentage of like 36 and 11, which is like 235. I mean, you really have to even try to lose that many, like to yeah. to lose that many games. You have to try to lose. Yeah. So if you, if, yeah, you have to really try to lose. They, they might have been throwing games then too. So if you go check out that book by Ginsburg, there's some more details on the 1917 and 1918 World Series, which were also mired in some controversy. But because the Great War was happening, nobody really checked that out. So it, the scandals really didn't come back until America was all back in, in a safe place. No more Great War, 1919. And that's the scandal of the Black Sox. And you can find out more about that in Elio Asinov's 1963 book, Eight Men Out, and the movie from 1988 of the same title with John Cusack, Charlie Sheen. Say It Ain't So, Joe, that whole, that whole deal. So Great movie. The White Sox were in that 1917 World Series and they were suspected of being fixed to win that one. So that also kind of amplified the problems of the 1919 one. The fix was organized by this guy named Arnold Rothstein, and this man was the guy who actually created the image of the 1920s corporate mobster and was the mentor to guys like Frank Costello, Meyer Lansky, and Lucky Luciano. So this is like high-level corporate crime going on to fix the World Series. So the Reds won 5-3. to three. The results kind of oscillated because... The team weren't all behind the fix, so some players were in on it, some people weren't, obviously by the fact that only eight were in and ended up being suspended, and only one player was actually paid in advance. So some of them were kind of like, are we getting our money? No, we're not. Well, I'm not throwing a game. I'm not doing this and getting caught if I'm not even getting paid. There was also a guy named Dickie Kerr who nobody liked who was a rookie pitcher, and he was responsible for two of the wins that they did actually end up when they went so, back and forth too for a little yeah. while, because to your point, um, it, it was like, oh, like you said, we're not getting paid, so I'm going to stick it to the man, and we're going to win. And then they reassured him, or reassured them that they were going to get paid, and so then they lost again. Um, I thought it was pretty funny that Dickie Kerr is like, screw all of you assholes, like <laughs> I want to win. I don't care what yeah. you think. And for those out there that aren't sure of baseball's history, if you think baseball is long now and, like, the series take forever now, they had nine-game series now, like, yeah. back then. It's compared to seven. Yeah. So think and about having eight to games. watch nine this games. Went, yeah, this one, eight games. So right. um, there was even a, a journalist for the Chicago Herald and Examiner who, after the series was over, so adamantly believed that the series was fixed that he called for there to never be a World Series again. So, Which would as absurd. Exactly. So at this point, things are getting a little bit out of hand. So the the new commissioner of baseball, who had just been appointed, I think, in the previous year, named Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who used to be like a federal judge. So, you know, we're bringing some talent from outside in to take care of this. He said, 
we're going to purge this problem. And he suspended all eight of the players that were involved, one of which was, of course, Shoeless Joe Jackson. One of the greatest hitters of all time. Greatest hitters of all time. 356 lifetime third all time at the moment that he was suspended. Man played a game in socks. Yeah, he's regarded <laughs> as, as you know one of the greatest players to not be in the, in the Hall of Fame. So the big thing to take out of this too, and if you watch Field of Dreams, which I watched the other night and cried my eyes out, is that he actually had like a 357 batting average and hit the only home run of the, of the series. So though he took money for it, he didn't appear to actually have done anything to throw the games. He seemed to have been out there doing his best. So I guess the question is there, and as Field of Dream poses, what is a lifetime ban? You know, maybe, maybe since he's now been passed for quite a long time, maybe we should consider bringing somebody like that in. I don't know. Doesn't look good for Pete Rose. Doesn't, doesn't look good look for good, Pete honestly, Rose. For Shoeless Joe Jackson, because his his estate's been filing for a couple of years to try and get him back in and. And they're, they've pretty severely blackballed him. So at that point, there were no other real major moments of scandal and match fixing that took place from 1919 through to the modern era. In 1924, one guy, Connolly, kind of threw, threw some money at a pitcher to try and throw a game. That very quickly got out. The guy even reported him, and he was kicked out of baseball. So it seems that Commissioner Landis's approach was strong enough that we didn't really have to worry about it anymore. Or so we thought. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, after it's all said and done, baseball was okay. Here we are. You know, we've, we've passed the 1919 Black Sox scandal. There was, of course, a little, little time in which people didn't, I guess, trust baseball or trust what was going on because there was so much that happened in such a short period of time when you think about the grand scheme of things but that was 60 years it was 60 years of pretty good golden era yeah i mean really really the 80s yeah i mean you know it it made it through the you know world wars and was a healing sport to get us back i mean you've got all sorts of great stuff that went on then um, to, you know, moving into kind of, I guess, one of the first big scandals of the 80s was our, you know, Pittsburgh drug titles. ESPN 30 for 30, they, they entitled it the Pittsburgh drug titles. And, you know, they, they covered this. And, you know, in 1985, you know, this kind of set the scandal off. You know, there was um, six Pirates and eight other players being called before a Pittsburgh Grand Jury. Um, you know, it was reported in the LA Times and, you know, in other national newspapers throughout this time, no lifetime bans were given because, well, drug testing wasn't really that big of a thing. It started to come after that. Keith Hernandez stated that 40% of the MLB players were using cocaine at the time. Um, but he didn't try to, he, he did try to kind of revise that later because there was really no grounds of evidence for that actual <laughs> statement. Uh, but, I mean, Tim Raines even said that he played with a gram of cocaine in his uniform pocket. I mean, that's just yeah. crazy. I mean, He said he would slide into in third dugout, base on his belly so that he wouldn't break the vial in his back pocket. <laughs> 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 um, you know, all, and, and a lot of these players, they weren't banned, or none of the players were actually banned because of this. But there were a lot, or there there could be a lot of these guys that will probably never make it to the Hall of Fame now out of those 14 that we know of. I don't think all of 14 deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There's definitely a couple names in there that, that we should have seen, or and we may never, you know, going back to that. Yeah. 
There's a great 30 for 30 on it, too. So it's actually entitled Pittsburgh Drug Trials as well. So if you want to yeah. see some more on that, go check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, after that, you know, there wasn't too awful much, you know, for a year or two. But then then you really got into the yeah. big... Because the first year of the collusion stuff actually started in 85, but it was kind of small scale. It was sort of, you know, that this, this new Uberoth, know, he was the new commissioner. He came in in his first winter... The winter meetings, he, his first address, he made the statement that all of the baseball clubs are damned dumb if you think that spending $10 million to win the World Series is better than spending $5 million to stay middle of the pack. So that had a lot of impact in the minds of the owners. And they all kind of took a bit more of a tighter purse strings approach from that point on. And that resulted in 1985's offseason, the year following, I think it was maybe only four of the 30-some free agents ended up being offered a contract. Players like Kirk Gibson and Tommy John didn't even receive an offer. So at that point, the MLB Players Association said, okay, that's collusion, filed the first one. I mean, hold on. All I'm saying is why would anyone think that not winning a World Series was better than being middle of the pack. I mean, let's be real. If I had to spend $25 million during that time as compared to five to win the World Series, you bet your ass that and, I'm going and that to point go win the World Series. What wins the day in this conversation, right? And once again, baseball took this situation, this situation not so much from the commissioner's standpoint or from the owner's standpoint, but the MLB Players Association and you know, representing the fans, they then stepped up and said, no, 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 we want to watch the best baseball that we can watch. And that means you guys need to pay the players. And the second collusion situation from 1986 was, once again, only four free agents switched teams. Three quarters of the dudes ended up on one-year contracts. The average salary for the first time in history declined. I think it decreased like 16%, but the actual MLB revenues increased 15%. There you go, collusion number two. So it's absurd. Oh, totally. Could you imagine now where players were making less money year to year? I mean, you've got these 300 plus million dollar contracts being signed where they're making 30, 35, 40 million a year. Their their AAB is oh, absolutely yeah. Oh, yeah. ridiculous. And then in 1987, the the third one was filed, which was mainly related to there wasn't there wasn't so much of a situation related to how many how many free agents got signed? But after the after they got in trouble for doing this, the owners then created like a, a basically like a cheat sheet on which they all filed their negotiations with their players, and then they used that to negotiate with players. Like that is the definition of colluding. The other ones were kind of a bit like, well, you could maybe call that collusion. Technically, they were all agreeing to not sign free agents, but you now just literally made a document that you might as well have just been like MLB collusion 1987 or whatever. So then the third one's filed, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars on these. All three cases ended up resulting in I think 10, 10 million for the first one, 38 million for the second one, 64 million for the third one, and then in 1990 there was a 280 million one which resulted in the owners having to give the MLB Players Association the money and the Players Association distributed it out to the players that were impacted by this. And in all of this they they were the owners were basically accused of something paramount to essentially fixing pennant races because 
you're manipulating the free agency so much that, right. that a team can't actually and players can't do anything to succeed. You're stuck at this team that drafted you, and you have no ability to to get away from them if, if you don't think that they're actually trying to build a roster that can win a World Series. So it's clear that because of that, we were able to to get the baseball that we have today. And without it, and probably the 1994-95 work stoppage labor issues and, and the actual strike, we would have a very different baseball today. Well, and when you, when you think about collusion, I mean, you, to your point, we haven't really seen anything like that since the, the, the mid-1980s. But if you look at other sports, I mean, I think it was in the last or I know it was within the last couple years that there's been evidence or at least accusations of NBA owners and league commissioners, or not league commissioners, but G, uh, GMs colluding against sure. players. And, and the NFL, the, the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, is practically as well known as the NFL itself. I mean, every year, every time it comes up, it's a huge thing. How, how, get us stuff to take care of ourselves. We need health yeah. insurance. We need you know better pay. We need you know, security in our pay. And, and these things were happening in the same way in baseball. Well, it just shows that that I know that the, the severity, or not the severity, but the the popularity of things like the NBA and the NFL, they've gotten stronger and stronger, but it just shows how much baseball has been a part of our history because we went through this well before it really became a, a problem in these other major American well, and sports. Well, the, and then after all of this, we move through the collusion, we get that sorted, we move through the, through the drug trials, baseball's got some egg on its face, and then the peace day resistance, our good friend... Mr. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. You know, it's crazy because we talked about gambling and baseball from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And then we took a 60-year break. And Pete Rose said, you know what? (laughs) Fuck it. I'm going to go for it this time and just see what happens. So now you've got this huge black cloud that that was building through the mid 1980s, you know, you had the the drug trials, you had the collusion of the owners, but then you had a player and a player manager and and arguably the greatest hitter of all time who now may never see the light of day in the sport of baseball outside of his own personal doings ever again, which sucks, but bro, you really really blew it. You broke the the rule that it the one of the longest standing rules in the sport of baseball. So if you want to find out a little bit more about what happened with Pete Rose, uh, there were some really great articles back in 1989 with Sports Illustrated written by Craig Neff. Um, it's you can find it on the the Sports Illustrated Vault website. This is this was written right when all of this kind of happened when Pete Rose was banned. A more recent article that you can read is by Elizabeth Swinton with Sports Illustrated. This Day in Sports History is actually written just a few days ago. Uh, just kind of covers all of this. You know, when you talk about match fixing effectively ending in the 20s, and then now we're back in you know, to the 80s where Pete Rose started to do this again. Um, he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds at the time when the scandal broke in 1989. Uh, there was a 225-page document that John Dowd put together that had all of the phone calls, the bookkeepings, the bank records, and everything else that related to Pete Rose's gambling addiction. I mean, this man, you know, at the time when all of this happened, was anywhere between five hundred and seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gambling debt. I mean, that's a lot 
of money, especially to the common man. Now to him, that's that's chump change, you know, because they're making millions at this point. Um, but you know, Rose, where he really kind of screwed up, and he may have gotten a little bit more of a uh, softer softer penalty, at least long term. I think he still would have ended up with a lifetime ban, but people would have at least reconsidered it a little bit more was when he just denied the hell out of it. He said, I didn't do this. The only thing I do are on, you know, the racetrack, which that was definitely true because in the off season, that man was there every single day, you know, but these allegations, I mean, it wasn't just him. I mean, it's, it, there was allegations, including, you know, him with convicted felons, you know, he hit, there was records of those huge betting losses in this report. Um, and then he even, you know, was selling memorabilia that was fake, you know, autograph signings that he was selling that weren't necessarily real. Um, now of course he denied these allegations saying that he, you know, only betted on the racetrack He lived and breathed baseball, yet he chose to break the number one rule that was set very early in baseball's history. And, you know, so he was was given a lifetime ban. And that really sucks because this man was incredible. Um, You know, I wasn't old enough to see him play, but I've watched replays of games, and, and the man just knew how to hit the baseball. And so, you know, when you go into it, uh, I believe it was 1991, he got put in jail for following, you know, filing false tax returns. Yeah, that was related to his memorabilia sales. Exactly. And, you know, and, and, but he said he didn't have a gambling addiction. And that just, what do you mean, man? You definitely do. It's, and I think if he had come out in the early 90s, or even when he was accused of all of this before it was found to be true, if he had said, yeah, man, I, 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 I really screwed up. I was definitely doing this and just admitted to everything because it's been found that he definitely bet on the Reds while he's a manager. Now, he still stands by this to today that he did not bet on anything other than them winning. Um, and it's still never truly been found whether or not he was actually betting on the Reds when he was a player manager, but it was definitely when he was a manager. Um, but basically, you know, you go on into a little bit further where he's asked for reinstatement two, three times, and he's actually trying to get it taken care of now um, again, because he basically feels that if he's not, if he's being blackballed and kept out of the Hall of Fame and, and, and the sport of baseball, then why aren't these players who cheated the game within the Astros not receiving the same punishment? Well, Pete, I can tell you why. It's because they didn't break a rule that was really written. Yeah. You broke a rule that we've known about. And has been, you know, drilled into the sport of baseball since, especially that Black Scott Black Sox scandal. Sure, sure. I mean, we know we know people that if if they get too peripherally close to professional sports, they can't play in our fantasy league anymore. I mean, that kind of stuff is like right, like it's it's for real. Like you are not allowed because technically, yeah, sure, fantasy is not gambling, right? But yeah, it kind of is too. <laughs> yeah, and you know. He, he addressed this, and he finally came around, and he admitted to it. 
Um, he addressed it in his autobiography, My Prison Without Bars, in 2014. You know, in 2007, or not 2014, but 2004. In 2007, he admitted uh, on the Dan Patrick show that, you know, he did bet on his team every night. Um, though there was never any proof that he bet on certain starting pitches or anything like that. In 2010, he came out and gave an emotional public apology. But I just don't think that's enough. At the end of the day, you can be great. You're going to always be one of those players that we know you deserve to be into it. But you lost that, um, you lost that ability to get in when you chose to break that rule. I mean, it, it's clear as day. Rule 21, misconduct, betting on a ball game. Any player, umpire, league official, employee who shall bet any sum whatsoever upon baseball in the connection with which the better has a duty to perform shall be declared permanently ineligible. And I'm sorry, we just can't get past that. Misconduct. And, it, you know, it I is mean, what it is. I, I guess you can also say in, in the pre-internet era, you getting into the Hall of Fame was critical. Because that's how people remembered you. But now, you know, you can still have a life beyond baseball. But either way, so the late 80s, the mid to late 80s happened. Some of this stuff, like the Pete Rose stuff, was still happening in the early 90s. That was, a, so it technically stretched something that happened from 85 to 87, because that's when he was accused of 85, 86, 87, into something that went into the early 90s. Then we have work stoppage, labor issues. Full strike, no baseball, 94, 95, no World Series. Terrible time. So baseball was, for the first time, was really kind of limping here. I mean, it was getting hit on all fronts. We had people doing illegal drugs. We had famous managers and former players cheating. We had the owners cheating the players. Every, every aspect of baseball was just rotten. And we really needed something to kind of bring us back to baseball and make us feel good again. And we got it. And guess what? It happened. That black cloud disappeared, only to find out later on it was just another one starting. But it is what it is, right? Um, Because I'm pretty passionate about this one. Um, I think you can agree with me that when the steroid era really started and and became popular in in the 90s, you know, the mid-90s into the 2000s, although this was a negative thing for sports at the time when it happened after the strike it was a beautiful beautiful thing i vividly remember the 1998 season i will never forget it and i was i was still a wee little lad oh yeah and and at the end of the day it was phenomenal for the game of baseball because viewership of course was dead because there was no uh, no season in 94, and then 95, 96, 97, it's starting to build back up. Right. But when we had that race that ultimately came down to two of the greatest home run hitters of all time now. And, and a third one, too, that just couldn't keep up. I mean, King Griffey Jr. was in the race. And um, and and if you can only imagine, guess which one wasn't doing drugs? It was the one that didn't keep up. The guy that got so, close too, but he got close in the shortened season too. He was on he was on track to to maybe touch some some glory there too, but he just it was a shortened season, so he couldn't you know of course go for it. King Griffey Jr. That is. 
With performance enhancing drugs, there's definitely rumors that this dates back well before the 90s, well before the 2000s. You've got people like Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, like with the list goes on of things that they tried that were enhancement methods, but nothing was really uh, illegal. So Mostly to related to taking a shot in the butt of some sheep testicle. Like that's, exactly. It's not exactly pretty stuff. <laughs> you know, they used in 85, well, in the 80s, they used other drugs like cocaine and acid to do a little bit better. Um, but, you know, maybe not the acid, when you, but definitely the cocaine. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. In 1970, Doc Ellis really killed it. Yeah. Um, good night. But, you know, when you go into this 98 home run race, I mean, this was just beautiful for baseball. And, and you've got Mark McGuire, you've got Sammy Sosa, you've got. Um, Ken Griffey, who again ultimately fell out of the race late, but I mean, you can't write a better story. McGuire and Sosa going head to head at the end of the season, and then it ultimately ended up where McGuire hit 70, uh, Sosa hit 60, and it was just this beautiful race that they were just going back and forth, and, and we had no clue who was actually going to win, and McGuire had that edge, but yeah. I mean, I mean, McGuire even broke the single season record against the Cubs. Like that's that's also like God. I mean, it's just historic. I remember watching that game. I saw that happen, and it was just phenomenal. And and we all knew something was up. You know, Uh, Sammy Sosa came to spring training that year. You're looking like a Vienna sausage in an extra small (laughs) uniform. Dude was humongous. But he wasn't nearly as bad as McGuire. I mean, McGuire had like chewing muscles. Exactly. He 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 started off as a as a as a stick figure and ended up being you know a double XL just on you know one forearm. And so. It, it's too funny when you think about it because at the time we thought this was fantastic and everybody questioned it a little bit. But now you're like, oh, that was that was absolutely terrible. How dare they do that? And then, you know, moving into 2001 when you have Barry Bonds who broke this record again. And when you think about the severity of this, you know, it was really cool in 98. And, and Barry Bonds then did it again in 2001. And this was a three-year span that this record was not broke once not twice but thrice three times that very cool to very suspicious by a guy who used to just steal bases (laughs) right and i mean you got to think this record was set in 61 we are talking you know almost 40 years later i mean i guess 40 years to the date for bonds right you know almost 40 years later that that record stood, and, and people didn't even come close to it up until this point. And that's when red flags really started to get raised because Barry Bonds was an incredible ball player oh, totally. up until you know that started happening, and then his game was ele- elevated even more, and that's when people started to really, really question what in the world is going on. And then it leads us into... He was he even was, more people. He was even being asked about it at his locker after games and stuff. I can remember that because he had such a drastic physical transformation. And despite all of this, you know, steroids didn't make it onto the banned substance list until, you know, it wasn't it wasn't until 91 
and you know testing even though it was on in 91 testing didn't start until 2003 i mean my question for baseball why why in the world did you not start that shit earlier why didn't you when when the race happened that should have been red flag because you had three people that were hitting like no other and then again ken griffey was found not to have done anything but then the other two were and then you go a little bit further in 2001, and then it still took two more seasons for them to start testing. And that that you know, and that's when you kind of question what happened and and how many people were really involved in it. And then there was one guy that that kind of opened the floodgates. Yeah, I I think that the big reason probably why the MLB put in testing in 20, 2003 is. Probably because they had a really good idea that the Neanderthal known as Jose Canseco was writing a book. So it was going to take him a while to probably finish that book. So (laughs) let's go ahead and get this thing out. And that was pretty much the moment that all of kind of the, the CD, that was the Mike Fires moment, right? Where we've got a guy who was guilty of it who had been doing it for a long time, releasing a book. First book in 2005 called Juiced. And before we go any further on Jose Canseco, this guy is a glory hound. So sure, he gave some some tell-alls and he said some important stuff that kind of brought baseball out of the steroids era because people had to start getting their feet held to the fire. He's also nothing but a self-promoter too. So In his 2005 book, he admitted to it, and then he pointed fingers at Mark McGuire, Jason Giambi, Ivan Rodriguez, Rafael Palmeira, and um, Juan Gonzalez. And all of these players initially denied it, and most of them ended up being found to be pretty guilty for it. In 2008, he had a book called Vindicated, in which he talked about how hard it was for him to write the first book. So there's your oh, glory. Oh, poor guy. There's your you glory. You cheated, <laughs> and now you're writing a book about it? Yeah. Bravo. It's just, it's I'm going to give him a slow clap. It's just ridiculous. In between those two books, though, a really solid piece of, of, of actual research came out by uh, Mark uh, Finaru Wada and Lance Williams of the San Francisco Chronicle called Game of Shadows, and that was the Barry Bonds story. That was in 2006. So we have three major publications come out that are really hitting this thing full bore, and that meant that baseball was going to have to do something. So an, an external investigation by, I think it was the House of Representatives, I mean, it was a congressional-level investigation, began. It was big. And it was it big. Was, it was organized. Going by back the- to Americans, America's pastime, you don't see that in some of the other sports. The, the the United States government got involved in this because of how important baseball is to us. We got this. And then um, <laughs> it, the former Maine Senator George Mitchell, he dum, compiled dum, dum. what became later known as the Mitchell Report. 2007, 409-page report. And in it... He submitted 89 players accused of using PEDs. That's a lot. That's a That's ton a of people, man. It makes you wonder why the why in the world was this shit not figured out earlier and and addressed earlier. And this was this is where you see the famous images of guys like Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero in suits at desks talking to judges because they were all summoned on this and actually it ended up resulting in Clemens and Bonds both being charged with perjury because they lied in federal court. And then all of that ended up turning into the Balco scandal, 
which finally installed the drug testing going forward in, in a super formal way, as well as an education program to teach the players the negative side, side effects of using things like PEDs. And, you know, it really got through to the players because... They decided we're not using steroids anymore. We're just going to use HGH. And so you <laughs> but did it get through to the players? Because I'm not sure. Well, it told um, them that they, that they better watch out with having dirty blood because HGH is something you can't test for, right? So right. then stage two of the steroids era, which is really kind of now PED era, began. But the players still got caught. But think about it again. I mean, you had this not happened, where would baseball be? You know, after the strike, if this stuff didn't happen, would people have tuned in? Because you go to that 98 race and viewership was at its highest. You go yeah. to 2001, people were tuning in to find out if Bonds would break Sosa and, well, I guess technically McGuire's record, but would, you know, keep on pace with all that. Um, and then here we are, caught up in it again. 2013, the biogenesis scandal broke out. And it primarily, again, targeted players who had acquired HGH from this reju- rejuvenation clinic called Biogenesis of America. And, you know, and as of this case, in most things, you know, a former employee was pissed off about the compensation, what an ass, and revealed clinical records that brought to light the real purpose of the company, which was to sell performance-enhancing drugs. And so, of course... You know, at that point, then MLB subsequently suspended one of my all-time least favorite players, Ryan Braun, for 65 games. A-Rod, one of my all-time favorite players, for 211 games, and he basically missed the entire season and postseason, uh, and then dished out 50-game suspensions to 13 other players. You know, Nelson Cruz, Johnny Peralta, uh, and Everth Cabrera, who were all all-stars that year. Uh, Melky Cabrera, uh, old man Bartolo, who wasn't quite so old then, and Yasmani Grandal. I mean, a couple of those guys are still relevant ballplayers now. So again, just going back to it, we get past this, people. We will get past this. We will learn from this. Um, you know, but A-Rod was punished the most, you know, due to a possession of all kinds of stuff, you know, all kinds of PEDs over the years and attempted cover-ups. He was the one that kind of was like, no, 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 until finally said yes. All the way back to Conseco's second book, he was being implicated on this stuff. Right. You know, 2006 or whatever that was. And this was this was pretty uh, pretty big for the sport of baseball because this was the most players suspended at once since the Black Sox, Black Sox scandal, and you know thus it did endeth the steroids era. So that, at that point, you know we kind of moved on, and and you know we talk about the healing of baseball. Guess what? We we can forgive, and I think Alex Rodriguez is the biggest of all now because we all love J Lo. So, you know, as long as you boo up properly, then everything's forgiven. (laughs) But, you know, it does show the difference. You know, it didn't take as long for A-Rod to finally say, you know, I fucked up. It's true. Big big 60 minutes, sit down, gave the entire thing, the, the steroids, gummies, the shots in the butts, laid it all out. And, and now you, and we forgave him. You know, that, I think that's why it's so hard to forgive someone like Pete Rose because he was no for so long. And it, it was over a decade, uh, you know, almost two decades before he finally was like, ah, 
guys, I kind of messed up. Um, and I only kind of messed up. I didn't actually really do it as mad, bad as you. Like, bro, there's there's court records. Yeah. <laughs> like, and A-Rod's already got a, a job in baseball again. And, and he's one of the better announcers. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it just takes us back to all of this stuff, you know, that, that has happened in the sport of baseball has led us to where we are in the sport of baseball today. It doesn't matter what game you're talking about, what sport you're talking about. You know, the, you go into the corporate world and you talk about businesses, there are going to be scandals, there's going to be controversy, um, but that's what shapes the things that we have to the to point we are today. And I'm fully confident that this black cloud that we're we're back dealt with i mean because 2000 you know that was 2013 that kind of happened you fast forward you know we're now seven years later there was a few great years of nothing um that nothing negative um but now we're we're here again and and it's in question how this is going to affect baseball but one thing's for sure certain when baseball comes back there's going to be a lot of people watching yeah, I think baseball is getting better at anticipating some of these problems too. So like even with the Trevor Bauer just in the offseason was talking about the pine tar and spin rate and stuff of these fastballs and that he'd been in a lab testing them. I think he was on a show. It was the HBO Real Sports. And on there he was actually talking about how he'd been in a lab testing this stuff. And that's got a bigger impact on pitcher's ability to throw a baseball than using steroids. And then there's a great New York Post article from this year, February 2020, saying baseball is going to make sure that all pitchers are going to be checked for illegal substances related to manipulation of equipment. Just put the pine tar bag behind there like a rosin bag. I mean, that's all they want is better grip. And, and that's fine, but they're going to say, these are the legal things. You're being checked for these things. If you use these things illegally, boom, we're going to be on. And so that's good. And, and it is because we're in a more digital era where these things are going to get out quicker. The rumors are going to spread faster, and baseball is going to be able to jump on it. And I think that is, that's going to be beneficial for the, that sport. And I think in the end, baseball is still going to be, if not America's greatest pastime anymore. It will be America's pastime in the sense that it has always been here. It will always be here. And it is. it directly reflects American values in the sense of honesty and playing fairly. So that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the, big, uh, the big element of, of baseball that I think we can all enjoy and, and that you all should enjoy as well. James Earl Jones says in the field of dreams, the one constant through all of the years has been baseball. America has been rolled by like an army of steamrollers, and it's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has been marked the time. This field, this game is a part of our past. It reminds us all of that once was good and that could be again. And I think that's a, a just a beautiful, beautiful message when we are we are definitely all faced with some very uneasy and uncertain times. Baseball is going to be there, and it's going to be ready to, to pick us pick up where it left off and, and getting us back to, to what we can call normal. Absolutely. Okay, well, that is our second episode. We're hoping to, at some point, get back to doing what we initially were planning, which is some, some live analysis. But in the meantime, fortunately for you guys, this has always been a fundamental part of our plan for the, for the show. So we're going to continue to... 
pursue some cool topics like this that we can break down in an hour and some change like we've done today. And as soon as we've picked a topic, we will get at you guys through our Facebook page and Twitter accounts. I've also created some groups for both Dropping the Ball and also In Pursuit of Knowledge on the Facebook page um, under the under the group section. So I'm going to put up the bibliography and some of our notes related to this topic. So if you guys would like to give that a little bit of an extra browse. And we'll also be reaching out through the Ludoru Facebook page to give you guys some more information about anything coming up in the future. Yeah, and make sure you follow us on Twitter. Um, our Twitter handle is at, uh, at dropping with no G underscore the ball. So definitely get there. We put some pretty fun stuff up to kind of tie in a lot of the things we're talking about. But thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, stay safe out there and, and keep on social distancing for now. Absolutely. Stay safe, everybody.